the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you probably think about this every now and then, the challenges that you have faced in life, the failures that perhaps dog your heels. Maybe you're somebody where to this very day, some of that failure continues to haunt you. And um, you feel as if no matter what you do, how hard you try, you're met with failure. You live daily with the fear of even the possibility of failure or the fallout of having experienced it and what it does to not only damage your psyche, but perhaps on a grander scale, even wound your heart. Well, my guest leading off the program tonight knows what that's all about. He is the best-selling author of a number of books, including several, no doubt you've heard of, including The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. He is a popular international speaker on subjects of personal and professional achievement, the application of biblical wisdom, and insights into Christ's teachings into every aspect of life. His latest book does much of the same on this very important topic that all of us, at one point or another, have in the past or will in the future, deal with failure. The new book is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living, newly released by Thomas Nelson Publishers. And Stephen Scott, great to have you with us. Hey, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm excited to be with you, Craig. You know, I was reading a bit of your, uh, your bio ahead of our program today, and I thought, uh, boy, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I mean that with much sincere Christian love. But you, you, you had a string of job failures. In fact, um, by count, nine in the first six years following graduation from college, which I, I don't know if it's a record, but it's got to be close to that. Um, down through your life, you've had more than your fair share of failure and the fallout of failure and the impact of the fear of failure. And even more recently, and to kind of put this in context for listeners, as we mentioned at the get-go, you are a popular speaker, and motivational speaker, book author. So to be sure, you've also had some enormous success. But failure is one of those things that tends to kind of dog us at different stages in life. And I, and I guess a lot of it has to do with um, not the notion of if it happens, but when it happens, how well prepared we are to deal with it and how we're able to keep it all in perspective, most recently, some of the challenges that you have faced, as you denote inside the book, includes the loss of a um, gentleman who's been a guest on this program many times down through the years, Gary Smalley. A lot of folks familiar with the work of Gary Smalley and the, his work along with Dr. John Trent. In uh, 2020, I understand that you had a pretty significant bout with COVID as well and uh, hospitalized you to the point where you weren't even sure that you were going to come out on the other side. Tell us more. Well, that's true, but it was a wonderful time because God had my full attention. And since Gary's death, Gary was my best friend for 43 years. I wrote his first two books with him. I launched his ministry. I created all of his videos. 
and uh, that we put on TV with uh, a number of celebrities. And um, when I lost him, I, I, I had seven books that my publisher wanted me to complete, and um, I stopped writing. I couldn't write anymore. My heart was broken. In fact, the piece of my heart that writes was gone. But I want to get back to something earlier you said, which you're talking about my, my failures. Zig Ziglar, when he reviewed my first book, uh, said, Steve Scott is living proof that failure is an event, not a person. And on that same book, the endorsement that I got from Donald Trump, um, and it was the only book he had ever endorsed, he talking about the strategies that God revealed to me in Proverbs that took me from from losing to creating billions of dollars in businesses. And um, uh, Donald Trump said that my, the strategies, he didn't know he was endorsing the book of Proverbs, but he said, uncanny insights and strategies are so specific and easily applied, I believe they can empower any reader, from college student to small business owner to CEO of Fortune 500 companies to achieve levels of success they haven't yet dreamed of. And that was my life. The level of success that came in God's timing was so far beyond anything I had ever imagined. And I wrote a book called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived in, uh, in 2006. It's still in hardcover. Random House said it'll never go to softcover. Um, it's in 30 languages because Proverbs changed my life. It was all about the pragmatic teachings of Proverbs. And people have asked me for years, when are you going to follow it up? And uh, the answer is the Joseph Principles is a follow-up, but it goes in a completely different direction. Uh, it focuses on, Joseph had uh, 12 attributes that all of us would love to have, an incredible faith in, in not only in God, but in his sovereignty and his love. And he had a practical faith. He had he heard God's whispers. Uh, he had an intimacy with the Lord that we all could envy. But Joseph never taught us how to have those. Jesus did. So the book, even though it uses Joseph's life as a as a uh, illustration of these incredible attributes, all the teachings in it are straight out of the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 100 statements of Christ, and the primary goal of the book is to show us what Je how Jesus taught us what we can do right now, today, to right now, today, enter into a level of intimacy with God that goes way beyond anything we've ever experienced. And Christ shows us how to do that. And that's really the consecration of the book, but it teaches a lot of very pragmatic things, like how we can revisit the traumas and, that are in our past life and how we can find these incredible 100 carat diamonds when we clear away the rubble. And we do that through a process Gary taught me 40 years ago called treasure hunting. You know, so, so remarkable, you think of it, Stephen, how that we oftentimes characterize those dark, disappointing moments in our lives of disappointment and failure, whether we feel we failed ourselves or somebody else has failed us, and we're dealing with the, the fallout from all of that, and oftentimes wonder, well, in the middle of all of that, where was God? He must have been a million miles away. He must have been busy on another call. And then to sit back with the benefit of, of hindsight and be able to ponder and realize, you know what, in retrospect, 
in the darkest moments when I felt as if in the time, in the moment, the Lord was the farthest away. In fact, that was the time that he actually drew the closest to me. With us today is Stephen Scott. He's the author of a brand new book, many to his uh, title, but uh, to his uh, uh, to his credit. But his most recent is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. We're going to get back to more of our conversation with Stephen Scott on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, best-selling author Stephen Scott is with us today. He's just penned a new book released by Thomas Nelson called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. Let's zero in on that point that I mentioned a moment ago. I think all of us get that sense in those dark moments where we're feeling the crush of, of failure and disappointment, and we feel as if our prayers don't go beyond the ceiling. God must be a million miles away. But as you suggest in the book, based on your own life experience, those are in realities the times when the Holy Spirit draws closest to us. Well, what is it that gets in our way of feeling that presence, do you think? Uh, number one, our lack of intimacy with Christ. Jesus didn't call us to be religious. He called us to come into intimacy with the Father. He said, and this is eternal life, that they might intimately know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Joseph had an intimate relationship with Christ. So what we do is we show you what the barriers are to that, and we show you what Christ said to get those barriers out of the way. For example, um, uh, we spend 50% of our waking moments dwelling on either the past or the future. The future could be what's for lunch or what's my wife going to say when I get home. Uh, the past could be, I can't believe that guy to tried to cut me off on my way to work today. Where, and whenever we're out of the present moment, uh, we miss the miracles that are open to us in that moment. And more importantly, we miss the presence of God. God dwells in the present moment. He doesn't dwell in the future. He doesn't dwell in the past. So we show people how they can literally turn off the power of their anxiety, worries, and fears, which are red flags that you're living in the future, how they can literally turn off the power of their past regrets, their sorrows, um, their anger, their bitterness, their lack of forgiveness, how they can turn that off by coming into the present moment. And this by itself changes everything. I have a ministry with um, that I've had unintentionally uh, since 2009 with parents who have lost children. In fact, one of my dearest friends just lost a son to a car accident on Saturday um, and one of my distributors a few months ago lost her adult daughter the mother of her grandchildren to a murderer in Canada and grief so captivates it literally hijacks a person's heart and mind and soul and so we show them how to come into the moment and give their heart in the moment they're in, not for tomorrow, not for a year from now, back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and consequently, we see deliverance from this relentless taskmaster, this slave master called grief. It's okay to grieve, but God never intended that it becomes the master. Um, but once again, the key is coming into a moment-by-moment -moment intimacy with Christ. Christ, most people don't know this, God has a love language. 
We all know Gary Chapman's wonderful book, The Five Love Languages. Well, God has a love language. It's not worship. It's not prayer. Uh, but rather, Jesus revealed it at the Last Supper so his disciples could continually have intimacy with him and the Father after he was resurrected. Well, we can use that same language. God shows it um, right today. And it's literally in John fourteen twenty one through 23, where he said, He who has my teachings and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me, my Father will love, and I too will love, and I'll reveal myself to him. So we come into intimacy with Christ by hearing what Jesus said, and then by faith, empowered by grace, actually doing what he said in the moment we're in. And so we show people how they can bring that wonderful, glorious love language where Christ himself promises intimacy with the Father and Son uh, when we do it. And that's just one chapter. Um, we show people how to gain a vision. And this has been a secret to my success. We started with $5,000. By the time we I retired, we had created 25 different businesses doing billions of dollars in sales because of this one skill set I learned because of Proverbs, but Joseph used it too. And it's called vision mapping, how you can gain a vision for your marriage, uh, for your for your relationship with your kids, for a project at work, for a career, and how you can gain that vision and then map it out like a Google map. And just doing that increases a person's productivity a thousandfold. In fact, I had a marketing department of, of four of us and competing against companies that had two or 300 people in their marketing department. And we beat them like crazy every time we competed because we used this vision mapping process. God wants us to be productive, to be a good steward of our talents. And so in the Joseph principles, Joseph was the most successful businessman in history. He batted a thousand because he would gain a vision for where he wanted to be and then map it out on how to get from his current location to his destination, just like a Google map. So we show people how to do that in one of the chapters. So this book is impactful uh, for people that have been, had terrible adversity in their life, that literally the adversity, when you learn what to do, can be a springboard into miracles. But until you learn what to do, Adversity tends to keep us chained to our past, and we can. The, the The picture on the book is a butterfly, a monarch butterfly, and it has one wing that's colorful and glorious, and the other wing, you just see the structure of it. There's nothing filled in. Well, that represents how people go through life. That butterfly, as good-looking as it is, can flap as hard as it wants, and it's just going to stay on the ground and go in circles because it's not fully developed. The only way we can become fully developed is for us to come into intimacy with the Father and Son. That's what God wants. He said it in Jeremiah 9, 24. He wants us to come into intimacy with him. And, and in the Joseph principles, we show you right from the lips of Christ, over 100 statements of Christ in it, how we can experience that intimacy. Not a week from now, not a year from now, not after lots of Bibles, how we can begin to experience it in a single day. 
Stephen, in a few moments that we have together that uh, remain here, touch on one issue. We've talked about failure in broader terms, in terms that a lot of people would look at as, well, I got the job, but things didn't work out. I tried the business. I was a failure. But, you know, one of the big barriers oftentimes that can be stand between us and the Lord from, from a standpoint of being challenging to developing that level of intimacy is when there's been a personal failure of sorts, a moral failure. Maybe we've wronged a loved one. We've wronged a spouse. And now there's also the manipulation that the enemy uses to try to keep us trapped into a sense of guilt and shame. And it's sort of just this this never-ending circle that ultimately creates this barrier between us and the Lord. Because people say, well, Stephen, I get what you're saying. In order to overcome this, I need to be more intimate with God. But you don't understand. Look at the terrible thing I've done. How can I ever restore that intimacy with him? How can he ever forgive me? We show you exactly how to do that because Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came for the people that are struggling, the people that are failing, the people who've been addicted to sin. That's who he came for. And he didn't say, come unto me, all you who have it together. No, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened. That you're exactly the person. And you don't have to be in bondage to your past one more moment in the Joseph principles, we show you how to instantly get delivered. See, Joseph was sold into slavery at 17. He could have spent the rest of his life hating his brothers, hating the God of his father who let him become a slave, then a prisoner. And, and instead, he didn't even look at the past. We show you how to live in the moment you're in step by step and once you start doing it which can be moment one you read that one chapter in the book and literally that night you can be free from any past failures listen uh, I'm right there with Paul Paul the only reason I think he was a worse sinner than me was because he claimed under the influence of the Holy Spirit to be the chief of sinners but I'll tell you I have had a roller coaster experience. I left atheism 58 years ago. I wish I could say I've honored the Lord in everything. I have failed more than I have succeeded. I have broken hundreds of promises to Christ, but Christ made 102 conditional promises to me, and He has never broken one of those promises. But we don't. If you don't know what they are, you can't. People are saying to me all the time, "Hey, if only I could have more faith." Stop complaining. We show you exactly. God makes the deposits. You write the checks. But you have to begin to discover the teachings of Christ that are hidden in the Gospels. And that's where we focus in the Joseph Principles. The book, again, as Stephen just mentioned, is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. It will be published by Thomas Nelson. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as the usual suspects, including Amazon.com or through Stephen's website. It's real easy. StephenKScott.com. That's Stephen, the initial K like King, StephenKScott.com. Stephen, we appreciate both the, the time, the candor, and the insights today. God bless you for your time. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you look at how poorly equipped the Ukrainians have been compared to the Russians, and yet to see the amount of losses suffered by the Russians, you've got to wonder if you kind of take a step back from all of this. What's the point? What exactly is the agenda here? 
Um, we know certainly there's been a lot of talk about the the tenure that Putin has had working within uh, not just the Kremlin, but the KGB before that, going back to the days of the Soviet Union, and his sense of wanting to be the Russian hero, be the man who restores Russia's honor and position as a world leader. But does it necessarily have to come at the cost of other nations? Some insights now as we're joined by a Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert, Rebecca Koffler is the author of a new book called Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, recently published by Regnery Press, the same fine folks that own this radio station. Rebecca, we appreciate so much you taking some time to be back with us today. As I mentioned, it's the ninth anniversary of the Russians capturing the um, the Crimea. As we know, they've had incursions into Georgia, and over the last uh, year, pushing on to almost 13 months now, um, have had a presence in Ukraine. And I just have to wonder, from your perspective, um, knowing the culture, knowing the history, understanding certainly more about perhaps the mindset set of um, Vladimir Putin than, than the average American. Well, what's the end game here? I mean, is it really just about restoring Russia's honor and position as a world leader? And if so, isn't there another way in which this can be done without claiming so many lives, in particular, even Russian lives? Yes, Craig. Uh, underneath um, all of this is uh, Putin's uh, desire to re-establish control over Ukraine, which Russia uh, views as part of its strategic security perimeter, on which it relied for centuries for its security. Uh, what happened with the collapse of the Soviet Union uh, back in 1991 and the admission of the Baltics, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia into NATO, the uh, distance between NATO forces and Russia has reduced from a 1,000 miles to 100 miles. So uh, no military commander would accept this sort of risk, and neither uh, is Putin. And so he has decided that by waging uh, an ending war on Ukraine, he can prevent Ukraine from becoming part of NATO, which is the red line about which he has warned uh, for years now. And so um, as long as there's ongoing conflict and Ukraine does not have territorial integrity, it does not meet the requirement to become a NATO member. And that those are the driving factors um, why Putin is waging this barbaric war on Ukraine. Help us understand something here. Um, we, we certainly know that part of the argument, as you point out, is that sense of insecurity that there is not as a geographical bumper or, or buffer, rather, as there once was. Um, certainly some of the talk about other nations joining, for example, Finland, that historically has not been a part of NATO, uh, is now on course membership after the Hungarians voted to allow them in. Uh, I've got to wonder at what point does does Putin say, you know, 
part of this is sort of the you know reactionary measures to his behavior and you know when I heard word now that there's talk of placing nuclear weapons in Belarus the argument going that well the United States has nuclear weapons in places like Turkey and Germany and France and etc etc so why not me too you know it just seems to be tit for tat escalation here and somebody's going to have to blink first I have to wonder from your perspective, Rebecca, is is this the beginning of sort of a, a reinstitution of sort of, uh, you know, the old fashioned Soviet era um, consuming of neighboring countries? I'm, I'm reminded of the, the speech that Winston Churchill gave. The talk about the Iron Curtain descending upon Eastern Europe. Does this feel like it has some of the makings of that happening again, particularly now on the heels of the invasion into Ukraine a year ago, now talking about the placing of Russian nuclear weapons in Belarus? So uh, there's no intelligence that indicates that Putin has designs on Eastern Europe. Putin does have the goal of uh, re-establishing control of uh, former Soviet states, right? Those don't include the Baltics because they are part of NATO. And if Putin were to go after those, it would immediately trigger um, the Article 5 collective defense, and uh, Putin simply is not suicidal. He's not um, given Russia's um, inferiority in conventional weapons. Um, it would take, you know, days probably for NATO forces to overrun uh, Russia, which is exactly why Putin uh, is threatening the use of nuclear weapons. What's going on right now, Craig, is uh, what you just mentioned, the escalation um, of this conflict that has the potential to spiral out of control, dragging the United States into a direct conflict with Russia, which is exactly what the wargaming shows. As you mentioned, I was a uh, senior intelligence officer in the DIA, DIA's in the military counterpart to the CIA, and I participated in and led red teams uh, in war games that simulated a U.S.-Russia conflict. And what's going on right now is eerily reminding me of um, what those war games resulted in. Um, and the result was a nuclear conflict, a, uh, a nuclear Armageddon about which uh, President Biden himself warned his donors. Um, the reason why it's happening is that nobody wants to um, uh, to blink first, as you, as you just mentioned. Uh, both Moscow and Washington in their proxy war over Ukraine have climbed up the tree so high that uh, neither one uh, can climb down. Um, if Biden administration... Um, that has been schizophrenically uh, throwing high-tech weaponry uh, to Ukraine, um, impoverishing uh, U.S. taxpayer on the order of um, the entire Ukraine's GDP for 2021, which was $200 billion. So we have provided $196 billion right now and committed to provide 
So uh, in absence of strategy, that's not going to do anything. And Putin, of course, is not going to blink because the outcome of this conflict uh, is of, of existential um, consequence uh, to Putin. He simply cannot let Ukraine become part of NATO. And that is exactly why we're in a collision course right now, uh, marching or rather sleepwalking into a, a nuclear Armageddon uh, with Russia, courtesy of the nonsensical policy of the Biden team. Let me ask you this. You know, history, as we say, tends to repeat itself. And knowing that there's been recent economic talks between China and Russia and the the relationship between those two nations seem to be thawing, I almost get the sense that there is a desire for the two to gang up on the United States is it me, or does this seem to be, in your opinion, Rebecca, eerily similar to a moment in history back in the 1930s and early 1940s when two other nations then that were declared enemies of the United States, uh, specifically Japan and Germany, had eyed the West and said, you know, you guys are a bit of a problem, so let's divvy up the spoils here. Japan will take the eastern part, Germany will take the western part, and in more modern modern vernacular, China takes the East, Russia takes the West. Is there, do you think there's those kind of conversations taking place, you think, behind the walls of the Kremlin? I do, uh, but I think it's even more uh, threatening than that. Uh, let me just read you a quote of what China Xi Jinping uh, said to Putin as he was saying goodbye to his uh, dear friend. Uh, after a three-day meeting that they just uh, held in Moscow. She said, changes are taking place now that haven't happened in a hundred years. When we are together, we drive these changes. Agreed, Putin responded. So what's happening, it's not just Russia and China that are forming a uh, strategic partnership. There's an entire anti-U.S. bloc that is forming around Russia and China. It includes Iran, North Korea, Syria, and they are even uh, conducting talks with Saudi Arabia, which is the traditional ally of the United States. So what President Biden's policies have done, they have created a multi-headed monster, uh, Craig, um, that is you said ganging up on the United States and this type of transformation of the world order about uh, which Putin and she warned us about it it has drastic consequences for the United States which has been blessed um, to have been the dominant economic and military power for decades and now these um, Autocrats and dictators, they want to replace us. And uh, regretfully, our policies that have weaponized the U.S. dollar, they are enabling uh, the formation of this permanent anti-U.S. Uh, bloc with China as a global center of gravity. 
And sadly, you know, as we've demonstrated many times down through history, America seemingly has a difficult time identifying who our true enemies are and who our true friends are. And this seems to be, again, sort of the notion of history repeating itself. If you've just joined us, Rebecca Koffler is with us today. She is a Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert. And in addition to uh, her background in briefing everybody from the Pentagon to uh, NATO and the White House on Russian affairs, she's also the author of a very compelling new book called Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. Sadly, a plan that is becoming more and more not quite so secret. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation with Rebecca Koffler as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Rebecca Koffler is with us today, Russian-born U.S. intelligence expert and author of a new bestseller, Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, released by Regnery Press and available through Regnery local bookstores and, of course, also through Amazon.com. I'm curious from your perspective, looking at some of the saber rattling that's going on now pulling Belarus into this debate in relationship to the placement of Russian nuclear weapons. Um, that's clearly going to make some of the neighboring countries of Belarus, namely Poland, Lithuania and Latvia, on the nervous side. And it just it just seems as if this is an ongoing escalation. And one of the frustrating things, I think, for many people that are sort of observing this from from a distance, Rebecca, is we wonder, OK, at one point, do we see some sort of decision by uh, the United Nations to step in um, at some point? You know, when when does NATO get triggered? And and, you know, is this a question of just continuing to diplomatically hold back and watch as Putin slowly gobbles up more territory? I mean, what should the in terms of engagement be right now in order to communicate a message to Mr. Putin that this kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated by the West? Um, it's very difficult to advise something right now to uh, President Biden because uh, for years, um, Washington security apparatus and NATO actually uh, ignored the escalating Russian threat. Uh, I personally briefed uh, scores and scores of senior officials within the Obama's uh, Pentagon. Uh, also, senior military commanders, uh, the heads of strategic command that guards the U.S. nuclear weapons, uh, the head of European command that would step in should their uh, war between Russia and the United States um, actually occur. And uh, the Obama's White House, the National Security Council, including NATO itself, in September 2013 in the run-up to Putin's invasion of Crimea. And no one wanted to do anything about it. Uh, They came up with all sorts of excuses explaining why Putin will not do precisely what Putin said he was going to do. And so no strategy was developed to counter uh, Putin's plan. And uh, at at this point, there's no magic bullet 
Okay. Uh, if we were serious about the threat, we would have beefed up the force posture in Europe. Instead, we actually uh, decreased our force posture. Why? It was because the European re- Europeans refused to pay for their own security. Uh, former President Trump practically had to twist their arms to uh, contribute only 2% of their GDP into the collective uh, defense city. Uh, even today, Craig, only eight countries out of 30 in NATO uh, contribute 2% towards their defense. And Germany, the richest country in Europe, does not. So we are today at a point where our networks are not secured from Russian cyber attacks. Our satellites are not protected from Putin's uh, space warfare. Um, and President Biden canceled the one program that President Trump authorized that uh, would have countered Putin's nuclear escalate to de-escalate doctrine, which calls for the detonation of a low-yield tactical nuclear warhead in the theater, in this case, in Ukraine. And this is why NATO is not going to be stepping in. Uh, Biden is not going to be deploying troops because he fears Putin because of all of these things that Biden, when he was Obama's vice president, he didn't do. Nobody, nobody did. Nobody bothered. The only person whom Putin feared was former President Trump because he did some very specific things that demonstrated to Putin that um, Trump was not to be messed around with. The minute that Biden assumed power, he undid some of the things that the 45th president did. Wow. So that suggests that there's no easy answer in in the short term. And meanwhile, this is going to continue to put Europe on edge. And I've got to believe that Russia is going to view any attempt to try and push back as, as a hostile one. That's also going to only drive them closer between uh, Russia and China. And, and then we have some of these puppet um, sort of, um, you know, how should we say, um, bad actors around the periphery like uh, North Korea, for example, that also continues to confuse and exacerbate circumstances. We're, we're moving into a pretty unstable um, period of time, aren't we? Yes, very much so. Uh, in fact, I have a uh, an analytic uh, piece on the Fox News website that talks exactly about that. Um, it's called Russia-Ukraine conflict is driving a strategic transformation of our world order. And one of the first items in that piece is that a permanent war in Europe is going to continue because both uh, Moscow and Washington are incentivized to continue the bloodshed. Why? It's because uh, the Biden administration believes that it is depleting uh, Putin's combat arsenal. But at the same time, uh, we're depleting our own, having sent you know billions of dollars worth of weaponry uh, to Ukraine. And China is actually the clear winner in this conflict because as long as Putin continues waging war 
in Ukraine, which is um, capturing uh, the Pentagon's entire attention, right? Because our intelligence resources are all tied up in Ukraine because uh, we're providing real-time targeting information. Uh, we're providing, uh, you know, all this weaponry. And so Xi Jinping, who wants to secure control over Taiwan, is um, is only elated because two of China's top strategic adversaries Russia and the United States are eroding their respective combat uh, potential in this uh, proxy war. And so there's, um, there's a famous Chinese proverb that talks about a, a wise monkey. A monkey is the... Um, is a symbol of cleverness and shrewdness in the Chinese culture. So a wise monkey is sitting atop of the mountain, watching down in the valley how two tigers are fighting ferociously, and the monkey is patiently waiting who will win. And that is exactly what China uh, is doing right now and unfortunately the Biden administration is blissfully unaware about all of these tectonic geopolitical shifts um, taking place in the world and the balance of power shifting away from the United States. Yeah, and it's and it's happening, I'm afraid, uh, more rapidly than any of us can imagine. Well, Rebecca, we appreciate the insights and the candor. I know for many listeners, uh, you don't walk away with any sense of feeling, um, you know, any more confident. In fact, very unsettling. But this is the reality in the world in which we live. And sadly, as I suggested before, we've had a long history in recent decades of just not choosing our friends very wisely, more readily identifying who our enemies were. And we've sadly kind of set up, um, you know, um, a scenario here, for example, in terms of our financial relationship with China, that we've not held their feet to the fire. And I don't mean by increasing tariffs. You know, you increase the tariffs, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the tariffs wind up getting incorporated into the consumer price, which means who pays the tariffs? You and I pay the tariffs when we go to Walmart or Kmart or whatever. But to come back to China and say, guess what? You continue to do this kind of behavior? We're going to just find another place to buy our goods and services from or bring all that manufacturing back into the United States. We were beginning to start to think in that way. And now all of a sudden, I think we've kind of forgotten and hoped that things would magically become better. Sadly, as we've learned today, just the opposite seems to be happening. Rebecca Koffler, the book called Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America, released by Regnery Press. And Rebecca, thank you again so much for your time and your insights on this very important topic. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.